All right, good morning, church. Good to see you all here this morning. We're going to continue to worship our God together by studying his word. So if you'd open up your Bible to Proverbs chapter 3, instead of me just reading it, uh, which is what we normally do, uh, we're having members of our church each week recite the passage so that that encourages all of us together as we walk through this series to be internalizing, memorizing God's word together. So if you would, watch this video with me. Hello, my name is Robin Cheatham, and this week's scripture is from Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know Him, and He will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. She did great, right? Yeah, super. Let that encourage us as we finish uh, this series in the next couple of weeks to, to finish strong, to keep leaning into God's word, memorizing it, committing it to our minds and hearts together. Keep your Bible open. Proverbs 3 is where we're going to be, and we're going to be looking down at it. Matter of fact, in just a moment, I'm going to read the broader context so we can see uh, the broader setting in which our passage is nested. But before we do that, just think about the fact that our God is a God who often in his word asks us questions. Jesus, for example, Jesus being the son of God, he shows up in the pages of the gospels and he stands in front of crowds or stands in front of individuals and so often he asks them questions. For example, Matthew 9, 28, he's about to work a miracle, the person doesn't know it, but he says, do you believe I can do this? Isn't that interesting? He doesn't just do the thing, he says, before that happens, do you believe I can do this? Matthew eleven eight. to what shall I compare this generation? He's getting their gears turning. He's asking them to think, join with me, reason with me for a second. Here's another one, Matthew 16, 26. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The savior of the world, the son of God, looks at human beings and says, I've got a question for you. Think with me about this. If we took the book of Proverbs, there's this fatherly wisdom from God and we reduced it to personal question. It might sound something like this. God asking you, is the ultimate pursuit of your life leading you into peace? In essence, I think we could boil that down as the main question of the book of Proverbs, that God who breathed out his word in this book God is saying, is the ultimate pursuit of your life leading you into peace? You, you think about this, this goes really without saying, but there are people in this world who would trade everything they have right now for peace. For peace that lasts, for joy that lasts, for meaning that lasts, for purpose that lasts, for real flourishing. They're seeking it and they're not finding it. In Proverbs, it's not this book that's teaching us how to earn acceptance with God. Sometimes the, there can be a dilemma where we know that the Bible is ultimately about Jesus. We know that the Bible, that the main central storyline of the Bible is the storyline of the gospel. And yet we get to books like Proverbs and say, I really don't see any connection between the good news of Jesus Christ and just all of these Proverbs of here's how you should live and don't strike your hands in a pledge and all these very practical ways of how to do business and how to be honest and all this stuff, right? It just feels like moralism. It's the one book where, uh, that, where Solomon was allowed to be a moralist. No, that's... 
That's not the way to read the book of Proverbs. It's not saying, here's how you earn a relationship with God. This book doesn't live in the courtroom. Romans has some of that in it, courtroom language of sentences and verdicts and guilty and innocent and justified and so forth. This book doesn't live in the courtroom. It lives in the living room. This book is the wisdom of the Father. This book breathes the air of family. So in the first nine chapters, the first nine chapters are 10 speeches from a father to his son. Again, the whole, the air, the environment, the culture ethos of this book is family. So don't, don't just get wrapped up in human authorship of Solomon's the one who wrote it and forget that the ultimate author of Proverbs 3 is God. Paul said, all scripture is breathed out, exhaled, by God, these are his words ultimately. And so God, what is God saying? God is guiding his children in the book of Proverbs. He's blessing his children. He's saying, son, let me help you. <laughs> let me give you wisdom. This is how the world works. You kick against these words of counsel and you're only going to hurt yourself. It's not God saying, do this and I'll let you in the family. It's God saying, sit down and listen and your life will go well. Trust me, and things will go well for you. He's showing us in Proverbs, chapter three included, the path that leads to shalom, the path that leads to peace. What's the way to peace? The outline's pretty straightforward. Number one, trust completely in the Lord. Trust completely in the Lord, or as it says in verse five, trust in the Lord with all your Heart. I just want you to see the broader context. So we'll have the, verse, the words on the screen or you can look down in your text. Follow along, Proverbs chapter three, verse one. And I'm gonna read the broader context. My son, so it's a father and a son. Don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. Now, let me just pause here for a second. You're gonna see this two-step rhythm throughout this passage of command and incentive or command and promise, right? So don't forget, there's the command. Let your heart keep my commands. Here's the incentive. For they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. That's gonna continue that pattern. Never let loyalty, verse three, and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Here's another command. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Here's the promise. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Another command. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. You see the rhythm there? Rhythm of command and promise. Don't forget my teaching. It's going to bring you life, many days, and well-being, right? All these commands and promises are grounded in this central call right here in our memory verse, in verse five, which is trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord. It's all about relationship with the Lord. That word, the Lord, it occurs time after time, that designation. It's the covenant name for God, Yahweh, and it occurs nine times in this chapter. 20 occasions in this passage where we're exhorted, where we're admonished, 
what it looks like to trust in the Lord. Practically, what does it look like and feel like and sound like to trust in the Lord with all your heart? And that's really helpful to have specific exhortations about what it looks like to trust in the Lord. You think about, as Christians, sometimes we can talk uh, in ways that we're really speaking Christianese to each other, right? We're, we're not stopping to define any terms. And so people who are maybe sitting in the circle with us are kind of like, what are y'all even talking about? It sounds nebulous and vague. Um, is there any, are there any handles we can grab onto when we talk about what it means to trust in the Lord? I'm trying to put a handle for you in your notes. Trust, it means this. Confidence that God's words are reliable and his purposes are good. Confidence that God's words are reliable and his purposes are good. So think by way of analogy, think about human relationships in your life. There are people you trust in your life. There are people you trust just shy of implicitly. If they say it, you believe it. If they said this happens, you have no reason to believe it didn't happen because they're trustworthy, right? So these are the people who can borrow your car. These are the people who know which flower pot the house key is under, right? They, they, they've house sit for you. They've dog sit for you, right? They, they, you trust them with valuable things in your life. You trust them. You, not just with things. These are people who are in your inner circle. These are people who know stuff about you about your past, about your life, about your struggles that other people don't know, and yet you don't lose any sleep because you know they're not going to mishandle those things. They're not gonna publicly broadcast those things. They're safe. You trust them. They're trustworthy. That's what trusting God is like. It's like when he opens his mouth, you know he's not lying. It's like when, when his purposes are revealed to you, you know they're good purposes. They're not badly intended for you. He's after your good. He's a well-intended, kind God. I love that this passage is not telling us to trust in abstract theological propositions. That's not the main idea. The main idea is trust in what? The Lord. <laughs> The person of God himself, he is a trustworthy God. Confidence that God can be relied upon. Trust in the Lord. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer a generation ago. He wrote these words, false faith always arranges a way out in case God fails us. Keeps the back door open in case we want to get out, right? False faith always arranges a way out in case God fails us. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any second way or makeshift substitutes. For true faith, it is either God or total collapse. And not since Adam stood upon the earth has God failed a single man or woman who trusted him. That's so good. Rock solid truth. We can trust in God. Trusting in is it, basically it's confidence in the purposes and character of God. So that's trust. What about doubt? Think about doubt with me for a second. Doubt is second guessing God's wisdom and questioning God's motives. Second guessing God's wisdom and questioning God's motives. Let's go back to the analogy of the friend of yours. Those friends who you trust with a house key, who know the alarm code to your house, who can get in, right? You trust them so much that if they showed up at the door unannounced, 
They either knocked on the door or they just turned the doorknob and walked in. If they show up unannounced, you don't go run around and start hiding your valuables. Why? Because it's you. I know you. You belong here. You come here all the time. You're like a part of the furniture of the house. You move in. You come in, right? You trust them, and that's why you don't hide the things that are valuable to you. Think about that, though, as it relates to God, because sometimes there can be some dissonance here. What do you do when God shows up unexpectedly? When God does something you weren't prepared for? You know, often because God's ways are not our ways and because God is infinite and we are finite, there are times where we try to stretch across and get our hands around what's happening in our lives and we can't close the gap. We, we can't completely figure it out. So the question is, do you plug trust into the gaps where your understanding can't reach all the way across? Or do you plug suspicion into the gaps where your understanding can't reach all the way across? And what does it sound like to plug suspicion into the gap? It's, hmm, I wonder what God is up to. Maybe I should hide my valuable things. Here's the thing. We say, I trust you to the Lord. But when he does something different than we wanted, sometimes it becomes clear that what we really meant when we said, I trust you, God, is, Lord, I trust you with these plans I've drawn up for you. I have carefully crafted the way that I want my life to look, and as long as it keeps looking this way, I'll keep trusting you. But friend, that's not trust. That's, that's self-trust, but that's not trust in God. And so then when we serve up our plans to him and it doesn't look that way in our lives, it doesn't happen that way or pan out that way, the enemy goes to work. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, probably all of us. If you've been in Christ for more than five minutes, right, probably many of us in our Christian lives and Christian experience, we could say the enemy's gone to work. He'll get in my ear and he's saying stuff. This is some of the Satan's favorite things to say. He said this to some of you this week where he's pulling up alongside and he's getting in your ear and he's saying, and, and we're supposed to believe that God cares about you? Let's just look at this thing together, you and me. God cares about you and this is happening in your life? No, friend, it's like Satan is saying, God has forgotten you. God has left the scene. God is asleep at the wheel. God is not after your best interest. These are the voices of the enemy to, to create doubt and disbelief to tear down our ability to trust in the Lord. And what happens, what often happens, if you're like me, this has happened in my own life, is I end up in this conversation, the enemy is sowing doubt and disbelief in my ears, and I'm finishing his sentences, I'm joining in, I'm making tea, I'm saying, sit down, let's talk about this for a little while, right? This is why great uh, pastors from a generation ago, like D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, says the Christian needs to learn to talk to himself more than he listens to himself, why Jerry Bridges wrote in the third chapter of his book, The Discipline of Grace, is just simply titled, Preach the Gospel to Yourself. (laughs) Don't listen to the enemy, talk. Stop listening and start talking. Start preaching truth to your own soul because when we don't preach truth to our own soul, we end up asking the same line of questions that Adam and Eve asked right before they stopped trusting in the Lord. They stood before the tree and they said, why can't I have this? Tell me exactly, give me one good reason why this isn't good for me right now. What, what are you trying to hide from me? Show me the blueprints. Show me what's going on, right? Those questions were asked at the garden, at the tree, and they did not lead to peace. They did not lead to flourishing. They did not lead further into trusting 
in God. It's easy to talk about faith, but here's where the real test is. Will you trust God? Will I trust God even when you don't have all the information? That's where the test is, and goodness, to come at it from the other side. Have you ever seen believers who walk through things that they cannot explain where God is showing up on the scene in this particular moment of their lives, and yet they keep worshiping? Isn't it stunning? What an evidence of the grace of God and sustaining power of the Holy Spirit that even in the midst of the thick of it, the storm, the fog, believers keep trusting in God. You want strong foundations? This proverb says, trust in the Lord. That's you strong. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Nothing held back. I love this next point. Do not rely on your own understanding. That's the Christian Standard Bible translation. Translates it, rely. The classic translation is do not lean. <laughs> do not, and there's a word picture that we can understand, right? There's something, you lean on it because you know it can hold you up. Books lean against a bookend because the bookend's not going to move. Do not lean on yourself. Do not lean on your own uh, wisdom to size up the world in a, in a wise way. Lean on him. Lean on God and on his word and what he has revealed in his word. You know, sometimes this verse, do not rely on your own understanding, do not lean on your own understanding, it's, uh, it's used to kind of push uh, an anti-intellectualism, a kind of turn off your intellect approach to God's guidance, which is not helpful. Um, Hannah Whittall Smith, who was a well-known Christian writer and Christian mystic in the 1800s, and she wrote approvingly of a woman she knew who each morning, this was the rhythm, each morning, she, Hannah Whittall Smith talked about her friend, having consecrated the day to the Lord, as soon as she woke, would then ask him whether she was to get up or not, and would not stir till the voice told her to dress. As she put on each article, she would ask the Lord whether she was to put it on. And very often the Lord would tell her to put on the right shoe and leave off the other. Listen, don't rely on your own understanding. It doesn't mean be as weird as you possibly can be. <laughs> Wait for strange sensations before you put your pants on. Putting pants on is biblical. I, can't, I don't have a verse for it, but I promise it's somewhere in there, right? We're allowed to be practical. We're allowed to have common sense. We're allowed to connect some dots, right? There's nothing wrong with that or unspiritual about that. Don't rely on your understanding. It's not like be weird and float around and stuff. Wear socks that don't match. If your socks don't match, let it be an accident, right? Not, not something you think the voice told you. <laughs> Eugene Peterson is a, an authority in Semitic languages. And I love the way he renders this. It's a loose rendering, but he renders it this way. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. <laughs> Do not rely on your own understanding. Is don't try to figure it all out on your own. We have access to God's voice in his word right here in scripture. 66 books of flawless truth. 66 books of timeless truth. 66 books of the true knowledge of God, the true knowledge of self, the true knowledge of the world. 66 books of timely counsel for people who are struggling and people who are hurting. 66 books, most ultimately, that point us to the one true hope of the world, Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. 
Here's the rub though. What happens when there's a conflict between God's word and what I want? When there's a conflict between God's word and what I want, and the answer is we'll find out who I trust. Do I trust in myself or do I trust in the Lord? We, um, you know, it's, it, it's one thing as Christians to do something that God calls us to do when we already were going to do it anyway. That's not obedience. That's called agreement, right? You already agreed. You were going to do it one way or the other, and then you found a verse that told you to do it, and you called it obedience. No, it wasn't obedience. That was agreement. You just happened to be aligned at that point. So it was a coincidence of these two things, right? That's what happened. We had a a beagle, and we experienced this on many occasions. Her name was Bailey. She was the sweetest dog ever. She was a quiet beagle, which is odd if you know anything about beagles, but she was quiet because she was raised by cats. Uh, there were, when we went to go claim her and adopt her, we walked into a house, and there were 11 cats and a 20-pound beagle. And, the, you know, the, the cats were walking everywhere and stuff and, you know, just soft underfoot. We bring Bailey home, and there's a 25-pound beagle walking on the piano keys. Right, she's just confused <laughs> about who she is and what her role is in the world. She's supposed to yelp and howl, not be quiet and walk on pianos. Here's the one area where Bailey was not confused about her beagle identity. She followed her nose. I mean, it, she was a slave to that nose. And sometimes she would follow it. She would just know there's something up there that smells amazing. And I'm going to have to find it the moment everybody leaves the room. And she'd jump up on the stool and then jump up on the countertop and we'd walk in and she'd just be going to town on the whole stack of pancakes. And we're screaming and we're running towards her saying, Bailey, get down. And literally her eyes are saying, I'm so sorry I have to eat all this. (laughs) I I feel terrible. You've treated me so good and yet I have to eat every last (laughs) bite of this, right? There were times where we could say to Bailey, hop in the car, and if she hopped in the car, it doesn't mean we're supposed to say good dog. She hopped in the car not because she was obeying, but because she smelled potato chips. For 10 years, right? You're raising kids for 10 years, there's something underneath those seats. Fries, chicken nuggets, whatever, right? She's jumping in there not as an obedient dog, but she's following her nose. She's a slave to her nose. This isn't very theologically sophisticated, but it's possible to hop into God's car because we smell potato chips. So so then how do you know you're actually following him? How do you know it's obedience? It's I'm trusting and I'm obeying. Here's how. You keep following him even when your life doesn't make sense. Even when there's suffering involved, you keep following. You keep looking to Christ every time you sin. And it tells everybody else something you must believe he forgives because here you come again, asking him to forgive you through the cross. You must believe. You're trusting and you're obeying. You're looking to Christ. You keep worshiping even when you're not feeling it. You're not worshiping based on whether feelings are present or feelings are not, right? The way of wisdom is the way of humility. That's the point. Do not rely on your own understanding. It's not about anti-intellectualism and mysticism. It's saying the way of wisdom is the way of humility, You see how verse seven interprets verse five? Sheds more light on verse five. Don't be wise in your own eyes. It's saying the same thing verse five said. Do not rely on your own understanding, verse five. 
Don't be wise in your own eyes. Verse seven, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Humility essentially says, what's best for me is to follow you. That's the posture of humility before. That's the fear of the Lord in a sentence. What's best for me is to follow you. In all your ways, know him. In all your ways, know him. Or the older translation is, in all your ways, acknowledge him. So when soldiers are in their barracks, milling around, doing whatever, and an officer enters the room, what happens? They stand at attention and they salute. They don't go milling around. They were milling around a moment ago, but an officer has entered the room. There is someone to be acknowledged. There is the presence of someone who must be acknowledged. And so, therefore, they stand at attention. They stop doing what they were doing before, and they salute. They acknowledge the officer. That's the kind of concept that's going on here. In all your ways, salute. In all your ways, acknowledge. In all your ways, stand at attention. Be aware of. That's the idea. If you're taking notes, know here, know him means acknowledge him, be aware of him, orient every moment to him. This is what the Puritans were after a couple of centuries ago when they talked about living life. They had this Latin word, Latin phrase, corum Deo, meaning before the face of God. They wanted to live before God's face. They wanted to walk into every room that they walked into, they wanted to know God's face is here. God is here. And so there's not this compartment where he gets my devotional life, where he gets my church attendance. He gets the house. He's in every room. There's no place I can go there's in this entire world where God is not present, active, manifesting himself as my covenant Lord. Are we walking through life as believers in all of our places acknowledging him? You know your first school crush? So... I think I was one of the first boys at Harold Keller Elementary School who, uh, who had the record scratch moment where the boys are all standing in a circle and they're all talking about the girls and the, the, the main play button that everybody used was girls are gross. And I remember when I, I was one of the first boys in the circle to say, no, they're not. They're very much not gross, <laughs> right? You, you got your, the person that you have a crush on, I had a crush on a girl in elementary school I remember her name and a crush on a girl in third grade. I remember her name and crush on a girl in fifth grade and sixth grade. I remember their names, right? So I had multiple crushes. Here's the thing with crushes <laughs> is uh, nobody had to train you that when you had a crush, you knew where she was. You knew if she missed school. You're like, oh, maybe she's sick today because uh, you don't skip out of class in elementary school. So you thought, well, maybe she's sick. You know she's gone to the pencil sharpener twice in this class. Uh, that's something they used to do, the little pencil sharpener. I should probably explain myself. <laughs> you'd walk over, you'd actually have to sharpen a piece of wood, go in and actually do the thing. And you'd notice, like, she's gone to the pencil sharpener twice. You're, you're just very, very aware of where your crush is at. <laughs> Paul and I have been married for 27 years now, and I still notice when she walks into the room, even a room that's big like this one. I notice when she walks into the room. In all my places, I am aware of her. Even if she's not in the room, I'm aware of her. When I was, when I was preaching this sermon moments ago in the nine o'clock 
service. She wasn't sitting right here, but I was aware when I mentioned her name. She's over there. She's in the preschool hall. I'm aware at all times. That's, that's the sense of what's going on here. If you trust the Lord in this way, it means wherever you are, whatever room you're in, whoever else is with you, the Lord's presence is acknowledged. That relationship is known. It factors into what happens next. Think about this. What would change in your life if in every location you acknowledged the wisdom of the Father, the forgiving grace of Christ, and the ever-present help of the Spirit? That's, in all your ways, acknowledge God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. So think about that practically. Late tonight, it's just you and your phone, and you have infinite options and yet in that moment, you acknowledge him. You become keenly aware that God is here. My, my savior, my, my good king. You're in the kitchen. There's a heated conversation between you and a member of your family. You have an array of options. You've got, you've got a toolkit of things you go to when things go sideways with a family member. Maybe you're the passive-aggressive route. Maybe you're the aggressive, aggressive route. You lift your voice, you raise your voice, whatever it might be. You can reach for those things very intuitively, very instinctively, or there's this other way. Acknowledge him. And what does that look like, acknowledging him? It means acknowledging who he is and what you know about him. James chapter three tells you that God's wisdom is peaceable and gentle, not vicious and demanding not twisting people in the wind. Even when God disciplines us, he disciplines us and treats us with kindness. What if in this heated exchange, in all my ways, including this one, I acknowledged him, aware of him? Here's the point. What we know about the Lord leads to a life that deeply trusts him. Leads to a life that deeply trusts him. This is why the Bible is mainly a book that shows us God. Who are you going to turn to when darkness closes in? You need a rock beneath your feet. And God, through his word, says, stand on this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christian friend, this morning, if you've been bombarded by the lies of the enemy, hear the truth this morning. God is not against you. He is not tracking you down for your harm. He is pursuing you to do you good today, tomorrow, and into eternity. That's his agenda. It's his only agenda. It will never change. In all your ways, know that. Know him. Begs the question, what do you know about the Lord? Enter biblical theology. What do you know about the Lord? You know he's a God of truth. If his lips are moving, he's telling the truth. Everything that he says, you can rely on. You can trust it. He's a God of justice. If you've suffered evil at the hands of others, God's gonna make it right. God will defend you. God will advocate for you. Vengeance is his. It belongs to him. He's a God of compassion, so he's a God of truth and justice and compassion. If you wanna find Jesus in the gospels, look for the people with broken hearts. Look for the people whose lives are completely coming apart at the seams. There you'll find Jesus. He's a God of compassion. He's a God of mercy. There's no sin he can't forgive. You might be thinking here this morning, Matt, you don't know how far I've run from God. No, you don't know how long the reach of his mercy is. He can reach you. There, there is no darkness 
that can keep God from finding you. He can see in the dark. We can't. He can find you in the dark. There's no shame that would make God run the other way. There's nothing you could present to him that would make him peace out and turn tail and run the other direction. Like no one else in this world, Jesus can be trusted. And Jesus is the Lord. And this passage tells us, trust him. Trust in the Lord. Trust in Jesus completely. Trust completely in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your paths straight. The two-step of command and promise. Trust, don't lean, acknowledge, and he will make your paths straight. And I love that the blessing held out at the end of this little section that we're memorizing is that he will put you on a straight path. That means he'll put you on a path that's leading somewhere good, a path that's leading to ultimate flourishing. This is the same path that Jesus talked about when he said a narrow way that leads to, that leads to life and there's this broad road that leads to destruction. Follow me on the narrow way. Jesus would contradict himself or set himself in contrast with other religious leaders and he would say the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy I've come that you might have life and that abundantly come with me and you live that's the beauty that's held out in this passage is that where your life has been leading you has your life been leading you into peace question is what have you been into lately and has it been leading you into peace if not maybe it's time to walk a new path Maybe it's time for a new beginning. Maybe it's time for a new start. God is proficient in new beginnings. He's called a redeemer. (laughs) How does this new beginning start? Trust in the Lord, the God who came and took on flesh, the God who died the death that we should have died and who rose from the dead and who gives life and lasting peace to all who what? Trust, who believe, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be rescued. You will be delivered. You will be saved. Understand this morning, there is no lasting peace apart from knowing, trusting, obeying the Lord. Talk about blessing. That one, two step of command and blessing, command and promise. There are so many incentives held out in this chapter. We didn't read the entire chapter, but they're held out by the father to his son. Again, it's a speech from a father to his son. And he's just laying it all out there and saying, you want all this stuff, son? Come and get it. And how do you come get it? You trust in the Lord and it's all yours. Just look at it with me. I'm gonna put it up on the screen for you. Verse two, many days, full life and well-being or shalom. Verse four, favor with God and people. Verse eight, healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Verse 10, barns filled and new wine flowing. Verse 16, long life, honor, and true riches. Verse 23, feet that don't stumble into the traps of the enemy. Verse 24, you can sleep at night not having to look over your shoulder. Verse 33, blessing on your home from the Lord. Verse 34, grace rather than judgment. Verse 35, the Lord publicly honors you. This passage is absolutely dripping with promise. (laughs) What could be more inviting? The author is reaching for every word picture imaginable to say to his son, son, trust me, if you get wisdom, you're getting the stuff that makes life work right. This is where the goodness is. This is where the joy is. This is where the flourishing is. Come get the stuff that matters. 
so Brook Hills, just a few things that I want to leave us with, practical handles for this. Number one, read the word looking for Christ. Notice it didn't just simply say read the word. Read the word looking for Christ. You know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, everything you're doing is great except for one thing. You search the scriptures, but you think that in them you have life and you refuse to come to me. He didn't like the way they read the Bible because they read the Bible and they weren't looking for Jesus. Do you read the Bible and do you look for Jesus? That, if I could commend only one life-changing practice, it would be that. Prayerful, slow, reflective reading of Scripture looking for Jesus. If you struggle to find Jesus in every page of Scripture, get a commentary. Get, a, get an easy, simple, there's a commentary series called the Let's Study series. It's outstanding. Get every one of those by Sinclair Ferguson. You don't even have to look at the name of the book. All the ones by Sinclair Ferguson, just buy them up and make those the first ones that you dive into. They're out, let's study Mark, let's study Ephesians, and so on. Wonderful, rich, gospel-centered, Christ-centered reflection on Scripture. Feast on the gospel. Why? So that in all your ways you might know him, the Lord Jesus. Second, practice community. It's, it's one of the ways that we don't try to figure everything out on your own is we walk with others, brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I sat on a deck two days ago on Friday looking out at a lake. Next to me is my son, William, who was just leading worship with us. And then next to him was a friend of ours. Um, and we just sat there for an hour or so and we talked about life and God and faith and scripture and the attacks of the enemy, and work. And I walked inside with him about an hour later and just thought, we are so rich. This is such a gift, the gift of fellowship. I sit down with people every week from this church. Most of the time, y'all set the meeting, and we come in and we sit down together and talk in my office or over coffee and I go into that meeting praying that I'll be able to do someone some spiritual good. And I'm telling you, every time I leave, I'm like, I got the better part of it. I guarantee you, I got the better part of the encouragement from our time together. Practice community. Go deep with friends. Go deep with conversations. Get real with people. Third, don't forget the benefits. Don't forget the benefits. I love all those benefits we just looked at, if we walk through the text really fast, Proverbs 3 is just full of it, right? I'm, I'm so glad that we're holding this verse out to our kids. In Brook Hills Kids Ministry, we're saying, hey, kids, this is one of the big ones. Make sure you memorize these three verses. Because why? Because sons and daughters, this is the good life. This is wisdom. This is where joy is, life with God, life with a father who loves you and will love you forever, life with a son who died for you, life with a spirit who helps you, comforts you, sustains you, walks with you through valleys, gives you victory in the triumphs of his grace. This is, this is our God, life to the full and more fullness coming. Who would halt at that kind of threshold? Who would see that door swing open and, and slow down and not move forward? Here's the question that we began with. Is the ultimate pursuit of your life leading you into peace? Proverbs 3 has armfuls of peace. Fullness and blessing 
life and happiness, confidence and courage, a generous spirit, and friendship with God. Proverbs 3, friends, is not barking orders, it's giving gifts. And who does it start handing out the gifts to? Everyone who trusts and obeys. This is wisdom. 